0: Titus 2, verse 11 to 15. For the grace of God has appeared that it offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority do not let anyone despise you. This
1: is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, how does someone change? Have you thought about that? How, how, how do we change? Not in terms of change footy teams or change to like vegetables, but how do you bring about real, genuine change in your life? Change to behaviour, the way we think, to our habits? I do what most people did this week. I went on to ChatGPT <laughs> to ask it a question. That question: How does someone change? If you don't know what ChatGPT is, it's basically artificial intelligence on the extreme. It answers questions based on the internet, and it said this: How someone changes is self-reflection, setting goals, seeking support, embracing discomfort, learning from your mistakes—all good things. I thought. But I'll tell you why I didn't use that as the basis of my sermon. Because there was one thing missing, one thing that artificial intelligence overlooked, which most humans overlook, that is the bedrock for any change in your life. And that is grace. Titus is all about grace. We think what motivates us to change is a list of things to do, steps, rules... But grace is the only thing that will bring about real change in your life. So, what we're going to do this morning is just two things. We're going to look at what is grace, and then how does grace change us? So, let's start with what is grace. Now, when we talk about grace, we're not talking about a prayer before dinner or a girl's name. I remember we were doing church online back in lockdown, and I was singing Amazing Grace as a family, and my daughter, who's named Grace, said, Hey, they're singing about me. <laughs> No, no, no! You are amazing, but not that kind of amazing grace, right? So we're not talking about a girl's name. We're talking about, as it says in Titus chapter two, verse eleven, for the grace of God, His extravagant kindness, His undeserved love, a gift. And notice it says there, verse eleven, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all. Not that God wasn't gracious beforehand; none, no, He was, always will be, but it appeared to humanity. It went public. It went from going off stage to centre stage. When 2,000 years ago, grace was born and walked and talked in the Lord Jesus Christ. All sorts of things we could point to to show that God, Jesus is gracious. But there's one thing that Titus focuses on. The act of salvation to all people, the great rescue. You know, God could have pointed to a dictionary definition Or his own words, say, trust me, I'm gracious. You know what he points to to show you so that you can trust him that he's gracious? He points to his son on that cross. Have a look, verse 14. It says, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people. You know, when someone gives themselves away, when someone sacrifices their life for another, that is an astonishing thing. A family friend of ours, George, uh, when he was a young boy, was walking in Fairfield with his mum across a zebra crossing, and uh, he was in front, his mum behind. And his mum, from the corner of eye, noticed a tr- car coming too fast. It was a drunk driver in that front seat, and it was coming and it was coming. And in a split second, she pushed her son out of the way, and she hit by the car and she died. He lived because his mum sacrificed. Now that is love, isn't it? But that's not grace. That's love, but it's not grace. You know what grace would be? If George, years on, as an adult, met that drunk driver and said, I forgive you. In fact, I want to give you my house, my car, and $100,000. Now, if you're feeling uncomfortable at this moment, that's grace, right? It is not natural. Every part of us think, why? Why would they do it? But that is grace, undeserved, over-the-top, radical generosity. And that, friends, is what God has shown us in Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it says there, verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. When Jesus sacrificed himself on that cross, it's not when we were lovable children. It was when we were more like that drunk driver when we cost him and hurt him, when we were wicked. Then we think, well, that's a bit of a strong word. I mean, wicked. I mean, look, we might be a little bit naughty, but we're not wicked. I don't think of myself as wicked, do you? And mainly because we've created a definition of wicked, what wicked is, and somehow, conveniently, we're not in that definition. We're outside it. I mean, every Friday I go swimming, right, do some laps. And one of the things that I'm doing in these laps is I look at the others in other lanes, other people in other lanes, and I, I race them. Right? They don't know about it, but I have this sort of race, right? I'm going through, and in my mind is the Olympic commentary. Like, he's going, he's going, he overtakes them, and world record, you know. This is what I'm doing. And can I just say, I beat them all the time, right? I just smash the others. Now, you might think, well, you might be happy yourself, James, in talking about this, but let me tell you who I'm racing against. All of them are 80-year-old women. <laughs> it's easy to feel good just when you conveniently compare yourself to others, that you choose. God says, don't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to me. And if you do that, all of a sudden the word wicked kind of feels a bit more apt. You know, this is God's home. This world that he's made. And we are tenants in it. He's placed us in this world and said, I want you to live like this. And you know what we said to God? Nah. I'll do life my way. We are ungrateful, unthankful, live a lot of our life without reference to him. We treat other guests, other tenants in this home horribly. We are, when it comes to God and what he's required required of us, quite, quite wicked. I know of a family who were landlords and uh, the tenants in their place were not paying rent so they said, you need to go. The tenants were outraged and they destroyed the place, smashed it, defiled it, graffitied it. You know the thing that really hurt them, the landlords? When they went through the place, they found a picture of the tenants that they've taken with them giving them the finger. That really stung. And in ways, all sorts of ways, we have done that to God in the world that we live in. But you know when the owner comes, when God comes, when he appears, you know what his reaction to all the horrible mess that we've done? It's not, get out. It's not, you did what? It is not, well, fix this up yourself. You know what it is? Grace. I know what you've done. I know what you've become. Grace. Undeserved love. That is God's reaction when he first appeared. You think of that worst moment in your life. That thing that you've done that haunts you, that really low of low moments, and all of us have one, right? You know what God's first reaction when he saw you do that, you know what it was? Love. Undeserved grace. He did not walk away from you rolling his eyes. He walked towards you with love. At our worst, he gives us his best. You think, but I don't deserve that. Exactly. What have I done that would go out? Nothing. The only thing you contribute is your sin. That's it. For the grace of God, verse 11, has appeared, and it offers salvation to all people. That's why it's open to all. You can never be that bad to be outside God's grace because it is not dependent on us it is all dependent on god's infinite goodness and this is why friends christianity is so radically different to any other religion cuz religion says if you're bad you're going to be good and you need to do all these things to get into god's good books but not jesus this is no one's good so come as you are and receive so that's grace that is the offer that Jesus brings to every single person. The question is, will we accept it or not? But how then, if we do, after knowing what grace is and accepting, how does it, grace change us in the way that we interact? How does that motivate us to change? Because we come as we are, right? But after meeting Jesus, we don't stay as we are. You see that in verse 12. Have a look. It teaches us, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You notice that word teachers, right? The grace of God is teaching us, shaping us, molding us, that when you become a Christian you accept God's grace, you're automatically enrolled into the school of grace. Unlike when you did high school and primary school, which was 13 years in total, the school of grace is lifelong, right? You never graduate from it. And this is so important, because often, particularly as Christians, we think, well, I'm saved by grace. Woohoo! Pardon. Done. And think that's where grace ends. No, no, no. It is not just a pardon. The grace of God is a power to bring about transformation in your life. You're saved by grace, and every day you live by grace. And grace teaches us what to do proactively and reactively. It's holistic. How to deal with sin and how to pursue what is good. So let's just briefly look at what is it how does grace help us to say no to sin and yes to goodness. First things first, grace teaches us that change is possible. How? Verse 14 is a very important verse where it says, "We are a people that he his very own." Grace starts from remembering of who you belong to. You know Jesus died and purchased he redeemed you which means you now belong to him. You do not belong to sin anymore. Sin, darkness, Satan, does not own you because you're redeemed. Satan may accuse you, but he ain't got a leg to stand on. Sin may feel like it defines you, but you know what does? Christ's righteousness. Which means now sin, it's not inevitable. You know that, yeah? Sin, you follow Jesus, is not inevitable. Left up to us, right? It is. But by the grace of God, it's not. Change is possible. But it's not easy, right? Because we're so used to listening to our master of sin for many, many years. And it's so easy to just get to the default of yes, yes, yes. It's like Sam Albury, who's speaking at our weekend away coming up in October. He tells a story of when he was asked to go back to his school as a guest speaker, sort of an alumni speaker. And uh, he went to, back into the school hall, all the boys were there and, uh, you know, just bringing back all these memories of school. And he sat at the front and uh, there the, it was, the principal gets up. And the first thing the principal says is, boys, sit up straight. And Sam says, instantly, he just did it, right? He just sat up straight. And then realised, hang on, I don't have to listen to him anymore. I'm not a student, I'm a grown man. But it's amazing when you've been listening for so many years, you just obey. But as Christians, when sin comes knocking, we do not have to obey anymore. It is no longer our master, because we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. As Romans 6 verse 14 says, For the sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under law, but under grace. Now that no, which teaches us to say no, to ungodliness and worldly passions. It's not like a blasé kind of no. It's not like the kind of no where a man ask you, do you want anchovies on pizza? No. Right? It's not a no, no, no. That is a raw and ruthless, gut-wrenching no to the inner desires that bubble up inside us, wanting satisfaction. But as you come face to face with sin, there is another voice that comes out, a new voice, voice of God, the grace of God, that says no not anymore. That's not you. That is the beginning of grace working in our life, teaching us. But practically, look. what does that look like, right? Because sin is habit forming. It's amazing how it forms all sorts of habits, the way we think, in the way we behave, in the way we go about life. And so to let grace transform us, it needs to form new habits, new ways of thinking. So let's think about the habit that we always do when we sin, right? And I think there's two tendencies as Christians we sort of fall into. When we sin, one common response is just guilt. You've done the wrong thing. You feel like, oh, God's disappointed with me again. He's probably thinking, how did you do it again? You're pathetic, you let me down. And so what you do when you sin like this, right, you sort of feel bad, feel God's upset with me, so you get a bit of distance. A day or two goes by, and you think, well, I've got to try and please Him a bit, so I might read my Bible a bit, I'll go to church, I'll do a good thing. And after a couple of days, you're thinking, oh, okay, I feel good, and probably God feels good about me too, right? This sort of journey that we go on. And we do it again and again and again. We try and do all these things, to be like, okay, that sin's done, and I've kind of worked my way out of it, right? But that is living in guilt. It is not living in grace. And it does not work. You know what living in grace is? When you sin, is knowing this, I don't have to do anything to get back into God's good books because I never left. Because Jesus' love for me was not based on whether I was good, but he loved me when I was at my worst. And so when I do worse, the worst things, his love has not gone anywhere. Speaking to yourself grace, of God's grace, is the only way of the power the next time sin comes knocking to say no. Others of us, it's our response is shame. Sin happens and we look at ourselves and we begin to self-loathe sort of think, failure, why did I do that? I call myself a Christian, I mean, and you just feel dirty. And what you do is you think, I have to sit and wallow in the shame of what I've done. And it sounds humble, but it's false humility because it's not living in grace. It's focused on you and not what Jesus has done. Friends, if that's you, that's more your habit, then living in grace is seeing the way Jesus sees you. That you don't have to punish yourself, but Christ has already been punished for what you just did. You don't have to sit in your sin because there's nothing to sit in. He's been taken away. The way Jesus sees you is not dirty. It is pure, even though you may have done dirty things. That is living in grace. And that gives you the power to say no next time sin comes knocking. We are saved by grace and we are transformed by grace with every single sin. Look, I'm going to be honest with you, right? I'm going to share an area of my life which I'm not pleased about, but I want to show you how grace has transformed it. From a young teenager, uh, I started my battle with pornography, right? A teenager, as an adult, and I brought it to my shame into marriage. And I thought this sin would just always be, that change would not be possible. It's not going to go anywhere. And I tried accountability groups, software, um, talking about with my wife, dumb phone, all these things to try and break it. And they're good things, right? But friends, the only thing that brought about any change in my life, that I can stand here and say that that is not me anymore. The battle is different. It is over. The only way in which that has come about is experience God's grace. Living in grace. When that temptation comes, it is saying... I could watch what I should not watch. I can do what I should not do. And if I do it, God still loves me. If I do it, his love is not going to waver. His fondness for me is not going to go. I can do it, but what he sees is not a shameful dirty. He sees his son's righteousness. And it is amazing, friends, that that power of grace when facing staring sin, the temptation of sin, that gives you a power to say no. Because the only weapon you've got when it comes to sin is no, the word no. And the only motivation and power to bring about real change is knowing who you are because of God's grace. We are works in progress. And I share that honestly because I do not want you to be fooled and to think we are good people in a good place. We are sinners. And some of us are sexual sinners, but we are all saved by grace. And we are transformed by his grace. Now I'll go to my grave with certain temptations that may be different to yours. And I never trust myself, right? But I am not who I once was. That addiction is not me anymore. And friends, whatever the sin is in your life, you think change is not possible. That is Satan's lie saying, you will never change. But that is a lie. It is by the grace of God that change will come about. And the only way is experience in your worst, darkest moments, shining the light of grace into that and remind you of who you are because of what Christ has done in your life. That and that alone will bring about transformation in your life. But God's grace is not just saying no to sin. It's also saying yes to what is good. Verse 12, it teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Live life that is self-controlled, Not anger-controlled, or lust-controlled, or wine-controlled, or money-controlled. No, no, self-controlled, that I'm in control of me and my actions. To live an upright life, just, fair, to live a godly life, to live a life like God that is patient, kind, and good. And the more you experience God's grace on a daily basis, the more you grow in trust for Jesus, and that obeying Him is actually good. Because so much of life is, we believe the life that sin tells us, that God is somehow ripping us off. That's what the message of sin is. God is ripping you off. He doesn't want you good. And it takes a while to realize that's a lie. In fact, it is sin that is ripping me off. And obedience to God is for my best and it is good. It's like a lady who was in a church who was quite poor. She didn't have much money. And uh, she was unable to pay her rent. So the church that she was a part of did a collection. They said, Let, let's help her stay in her place. And so they collected a large sum of money. And the minister went round to her house to give her this gift, this large sum of money for her to have. Knocked on the door. No answer. The minister thought this is unusual. This lady was largely homebound. She only came out once a week for church, right? So He came back the next day, knocked on the door. No response. The third day, he knocked again. And the lady opened the door with a relief. Oh, minister, I thought you were the rent collector. I saw you come each day, but I was too scared to open. Friends, that's often how we can see God. It's just a rent collector, unaware of the gift that he has to give, not just in salvation, but in obedience to him. And he is knocking in all sorts of areas in your life, Wanting to come in and we think, no, I've got to leave it closed because he's going to rip me off. He's going to take. He has come to give. Now we might think, well, if I'm saved by grace, what would motivate me to do anything good? Yeah, you think that? Well, why why do it? Why do good at all? Grace gives you the freedom to want to do it, not to do it because you have to do it. That's why it says in verse 14, he saved us to be eager to do what is good. In other words, enthusiastic to do what is good. See, the problem with religion, right, it says this, you look at someone who's poor and you care for someone who's poor, in the end, deep down, you're doing it for your own personal agenda. Because you want to care for the poor because it's going to better your chances of getting to heaven and pleasing God at one level or another. There's always strings attached when it comes to religious good works. But if I'm saved by grace, if I'm going to heaven, not because of what I've done, but because of faith in Jesus, that frees me from any pressure, frees me from any agenda, frees me to liberate me that I can love someone genuinely without an agenda. You can show, you want to show them the experience of grace that you yourself have experienced. It liberates you to want to do good, to be enthusiastic to do good. And God, friends, has prepared a whole bunch of good things for you to do. I saw a video of Taronga Zoo where the zookeepers in the chimpanzee enclosure, before the chimps came in, put a whole bunch of things around the enclosure, games and hiding of toys and that kind of thing. And they are really excited about the chimps coming in, right? They were just planting all these things for the day ahead. They were excited, and the chimps are even more excited when they burst through their sleep quarters and just searching for all these things. And friends, God has prepared a whole bunch of good things for you to do in this life. He is eager for you to do good, to experience good. Because we do this, as it says, verse 13, while we wait. We're not waiting in a long queue for Jesus to return, looking at our clocks. We are actively, busily doing what is good. We come as we are. We do not stay as we are, but by God's grace, he is transforming us day by day to say no to sin and yes to what is good. Let me end by telling you a reoccurring issue in my marriage, and i got permission to talk about this, all right? Charlie and I, one of our, as the council would say, growth areas, is when I'm driving and she's directing, all Right. It's not a good combo, we've, we've been through a whole bunch of issues before, range of responses from aggression to passive aggression, to saying hurtful things, to the silent treatment, just talk to our kids, right? It's not a good, it's not a moment that is a high point. But then last month we went to Dubai, right? And we came across Sheikh Zayed Road, which is on the screen. Say Sheikh Zayed Road for me, can you say it? Sheikh Zayed. It's such fun to say, it'll be on the screen I believe. But let me just paint the picture and then we'll see it. It is a road. It's the main road in Dubai that is eight lanes one way. You have to drive on the wrong side of the road, which is the right side of the road, right? There are people everywhere, driving motorbikes everywhere. Everyone is beeping, beeping, beeping. No one lets you in. It is a very stressful thing. The exits are like four or five different options, right? There it is. And on the next picture... Then, the next picture, you'll see there are a whole bunch of ring roads and everything like this. What makes it worse, there are Lamborghinis and Porsches everywhere, right? And yet, I drive, Charlie directs. <laughs> <laughs> on the website, which I found out later, it recommends tourists do not drive on Shakespeare Road. But we did. And a week and a half went past. And I had this moment while we were driving along. I said, Charlie. I just realised something. For the last week and a half, we haven't fought. We haven't said anything bad of it. We haven't been rude to one another, and we were shocked, and our kids were even more shocked in the back. By God's grace, he had brought about change in the way we interact. In a moment, there's a recurring issue. That was a Sheikh Zayed moment, and you, in your life, brothers and sisters, will have Sheikh Zayed moments where you realise that change is possible. God is working in your life for good. But one day, friends, when we wait no more, you will have the Sheikh Zaid moment. As it says in verse 13, when the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. Because in that moment, friends, the rescue will be complete, the transformation will be done, sin will be past tense, temptation gone, and you will be stunning in all your glory inside and out when we see true greatness and the one who has been gracious to us more than we know, when he comes back and we see him, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your warm, oh so warm, welcoming heart. Your grace finds us where we are, but thankfully it does not leave us there. We will listen to a whole bunch of things. We will learn a whole bunch of things in this life. But there is one teacher that we need. There is one school that we need to be a part of, and that is the school of grace, your grace. By your grace, Lord Jesus, help us to say that emphatic no to sin because it robs us of so much good and it robs you of your glory. And let us have an emphatic yes to everything that is good. May the hope of your return and what is to come motivate us for greatest obedience in you. Free us from unrighteousness and self-righteousness and that we live a life in gospel righteousness. We pray this in your name.